the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best, and this is definitely one of those episodes where we're going to do our very best to provide you with the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. Again, very glad to have you with me. There is so much information out there and available about the conflict currently going on between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, and so much of that information is hard to understand. It's hard to figure out. And if you're like me, you'd really like to know what's going on. On the one hand, our heart breaks for the people that are there. I have friends in Ukraine, people who uh, really with families and trying to t- take care of their communities and trying to navigate through this. Our heart breaks for what is happening there. Certainly no one would say that what uh, President Putin has done is okay. It's not okay. Russia has moved into a sovereign nation, and there's a lot happening there that is absolutely horrible. On the other hand, though, when we're asking the question, how do we navigate an ever-changing culture? What are those perspectives that we need? What are, uh, those, uh, what's the information that we need? We really have to look at what has caused this, because only by understanding what has caused this can we possibly understand how to prevent it from getting worse and how to prevent something like this in the future. We have become so polarized as a nation around this issue, where it is for or against, it's pro or anti, and we really need to be able to say what's happening is horrible, but something's causing it. Let's figure that out. And so, because I am not an expert in this area, or really any area, that's why we bring people on all the time, uh, we have a great guest on with us. He has been with us before, and excited to have him back on. Our guest today is Pedro Gonzalez. Right now, there's a situation brewing in the men's basic department. Men are being held hostage by overpriced brands that simply aren't mission-tested. That's why we're excited to tell you about Undertack, the only brand that's literally been battle-tested by special forces. These have to be the greatest boxers ever made because they cover all the bases. High-quality material that's antibacterial, anti-pilling, and moisture-wicking so you stay fresh and dry all day. Uh, I recently did a 30-mile run in preparation for an ultramarathon in a couple weeks wearing the Recon boxers, and they were absolutely incredible. I loved them. They have a quick-release fly and a secret pocket in the extra-wide waistband for cash or tactical necessities. Undertack is durable, ultralight, fade-resistant, and shrink-resistant. And here's the best part. They're almost 30% less than the competition. Go to getundertack.com. That's getundertack.com right now. Save 20% off your order with the offer code SITREP20. All one word, SITREP20. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. That is a great American company that's unapologetically pro-America, pro-Second Amendment, and pro-military. That's getundertack.com. 
getundertack.com, offer code SITREP20. Our guest today is Pedro Gonzalez. Pedro is the associate editor at Chronicles, a magazine of American culture. And if you listen to this show, Pedro has been our guest before. Um, man, appreciate you coming back on. Thanks for doing it. There's a lot going on in the world, and I know you're very busy, so I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. So we could probably pick from a long list of pressing issues in the world right now, but everyone seems to be talking about Ukraine for good reason. Um, it's This is an issue that a lot of us are watching and don't really understand, but there are some facts that we need to get right. And um, I know you've been talking about this a lot. I'd love for you to provide some clarity on this. I'll tell you my, my personal, everyone probably has a personal Ukraine story, but um, prior to the pandemic, I spent the previous two years uh, 2018 and 2019 uh, in Ukraine for about three weeks each, working with the Ukrainian military. My wife and I did uh, some train, not training, but uh, conferences, marriage conferences for Ukrainian military families and got to know a lot of people there. Um, man, it's heartbreaking what's happening. So because of those relationships, got a lot of emails and, and uh, texted pictures and a lot of things that are happening there. But it's so confusing. And, you know, yeah. coming from a military background like I do, it, it just, there's so much that doesn't make sense. So why don't we just start at the beginning and, and uh, help us to <laughs> uh, clarify some of the noise that we're hearing. Well, I should start by saying when you say the beginning, even that is a difficult question. Some mm. people argue that this actually goes back to the, the bombing of Yugoslavia, because for a lot of Russians, that was actually a kind of turning point, because it was a huge provocation to them that the United States led NATO into the bombing of a sovereign country. So again, when you say even the question of when did this start? Right. Uh, I, I don't go back that far. I think that's a significant event for the. What Russian year was that? Making. I think it was in the it was in the 90s, but I, I'm OK. The, yeah. The date. Anyways, um, I, I, I start a little bit forward of that, probably 2013. I think that's when the really significant stuff that's relevant to, yeah. to today uh, happen. But I think before we get into any of it, Ukraine-Russia is is like the worst possible conflict for us as Americans to try to understand because we like things black and white, good right. versus evil, good guy, bad right. guy. But this conflict has so many different actors and so many different groups and so many different competing interests that it's actually impossible to just make it into black and white. Although, although people are trying really hard, right. the media is trying really hard, right. politicians are trying really hard to frame this in, in a kind of, in a way that I've likened it to a kind of Marvel movie narrative. You know, mm. There's actually yeah, a, yeah. a tweet that went viral and it was like, let me explain things easily. Uh, the, basically, the Ukrainian government, they're the Avengers. Russian, uh, the Russian people, <laughs> it's like they're all, they're all Thanos or something like this. Right. Insane, <laughs> right. Like this insane, right? No, that is where the Black Widow came from, so right, that makes yeah. sense. Not like that at all. Um, yeah, I mean, so starting in 2013, I think there are two really significant events that kind of put us on a collision course. Apart from, and we can talk about this as well, apart from Russia's interests in Ukraine, basically I think that there are two things the West did in recent times to kind of poke the bear and made this... Uh, inevitable. And I think it's important to talk about these things because right yeah. now people are saying, if you even suggest that the West did anything, that our elites, more importantly, did anything 
to make this inevitable, then you're carrying water for Putin. It's treason. Mm. That mm. isn't it. That is insane because it's disruptive to clear thinking. Right. So, and right. It's dominate time. But I'll, I'll no, do these good. two events. In 2013, yeah, in 2013, the EU offers Ukraine, which at the time has a government that is neutralist, but it leans friendly to Russia. Uh, the Economist described the president Yanukovych at the time as someone who kind of plays both sides, doesn't really commit to either camp, but is willing to basically milk both the EU and Russia, mm. not really committed in a, in a militant way to either one. So the EU makes uh, the Ukrainian government under him an offer. It's, it's a trade deal, ostensibly. But what it actually is, it's a form of economic warfare, because what the trade deal entails is flooding the Ukrainian market with European goods, which would, by extension, flood the Russian market with European goods. And in theory, the purpose of this was to destabilize the Russian economy so mm. that you would get something like a color revolution. Enough mm. people would become upset because of economic strain and you would get a, a basically a rebellion that would topple yep. Russia's, Russia's government. Putin saw this for what it was. There's actually a fantastic article, article about this in Tablet Magazine. I think it's called Ukraine's dangerous gamble. I recommend, I recommend it to everybody because it does a fantastic job of going over this. But, but the short version is Putin recognizes this EU trade deal as a kind of, as basically economic warfare, because that's what it is. And so he goes to Ukraine and says, I'll make you an alternative, $15, uh, $15 billion in economic aid. Uh, either you take that or you go at the EU and then I'll hit you with sanctions because as a buffer country that borders me, you're, you're yeah. allowing yourself to be weaponized against me. Yeah. So the Ukrainian government sides basically with Russia on this one. They, they renege on the EU deal and it, it, because it's in the interest of the Ukrainian government to do this at the time, and they side with Russia. So that's in 2013. Mm -hmm. But by the end of 2013, you start getting these protests for regime yeah. change yep. in Ukraine. And there is a massive amount of evidence, uh, of evidence that those protests were actually fomented by the Obama administration, in part because Ukraine didn't want to peel off completely from Russia. By 2014, Ukraine's democratically elected, albeit corrupt, like every other government uh, that Ukraine's ever had, right. uh, that, right. that government is toppled. And in its place, a government that was handpicked by the Obama administration is set up, and Ukraine goes from being neutral, kind of milking both sides, to adamantly opposed to Russia. And that, those events, I think those two key events, basically, on the one hand, the EU kind of poking Russia, and then the Obama administration literally sending a shot across the bow by toppling a, the government of a country that borders Russia, a, a country that Russia has said repeatedly, do not mess with Ukraine. Uh, right. It is a buffer country for us. It is important to us. You know, you can take Poland, you can take uh, the Czech Republic, you can take Romania, you can take the Baltics, but don't mess with Ukraine and Georgia. And what do we do? The Obama administration, uh, with the help of Hillary Clinton, who was Secretary of State in the first uh, Obama's first term, topples Ukraine's government and sends a clear message that, we, mm. yeah, we're, we're going to mess with you. And right. I think those two events are really key for understanding what led us to this point. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not defending the invasion that Putin of course. made. Uh, and I'm not saying that Putin is blameless, but I'm saying, like, there was a, at the time that this happened, uh, there was a consensus that you even, uh, 
I think it's, uh, geez, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. I think his name is Robert Gates. He was a, a, yep. a diplomat that served, I think, under Clinton. And even he said in his memoir that the attempt to integrate Ukraine and Georgia into, into, into the West, and specifically into NATO, was a massive overreach that would provoke a crisis. But we did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, the revolution of 2014, the Maidan revolution, I think is yeah. what it was called, is definitely framed as a people's revolution. In fact, in Independence or Freedom Square in Kiev, there's um, you know several monuments to that and, and very much framed as though the people rose up independently and yeah. um, ran off their president. But um, what's interesting in the West is we have no historical perspective on really basically anything, but certainly yeah. not that region. And, and Ukraine and Russia have a very troubled, very difficult to understand history going back several hundred years, certainly going back to the 30s. Um, the, uh, I believe it's called the Holodomor, the, yeah. you know, the mass uh, really starvation and, and genocide of Ukrainians by the Russians. Um, uh, Khrushchev coming from Ukraine to become the premier of Russia, really to solidify that relationship the breakup of the Soviet Union, um, they have been playing this game of not <laughs> hurting each other for a long time. And we just, we, we don't understand that. Why would the Obama administration get involved in Ukraine? Was that in response to what happened in Georgia? I think, well, even Georgia was, was, a, was a res basically Russia's actions in Georgia, the, the Russo-Georgian war, that was also in response to a provocation by Georgia's at the time pro-Western government, and I mean, there, there's evidence that we also kind of meddled there. But that was that I mean that was what led up to Georgia was the Bucharest summit in 2008. Mm. And again, for years, Russia have been telling us, "Do not mess with Georgia and Ukraine." Those are like the two that that's our Monroe Doctrine. Yeah, the United States right. has a Monroe Doctrine, right? Right. Yes. We would never accept Russia trying to integrate Canada and Mexico into an alliance, sure. a military sure. alliance with Russia designed to marginalize and hurt us. And that's basically how Russia looks at Georgia and Ukraine. And so in 2008, you have the Bucharest summit and we, uh, at, at the behest of the, the George W. Bush administration, uh, we, we urge NATO to make an affirmation of Georgia and Ukraine's NATO uh, aspirations. Basically, we're not going to formally extend um, membership to you, but we will say uh, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Mm. And that, that actually happened at the summit. Uh, NATO announced that Georgia and Ukraine will, in, in a matter of course, become NATO members. Right. And that after that was actually when uh, Putin invaded Georgia, uh, when the Georgian government kind of signaled that okay, you know, our aspirations have been acknowledged, like, great, you know, yeah. uh, we want to go in that direction. Putin said, no, uh, you're, you're my buffer state. You're not, you're not allowed to do that. So why did the Obama administration want to destabilize uh, Ukraine and, and claim it for the United States? I think that's a really good question uh, because a huge part of that actually is telling the story of how a group of hawks within the Obama administration subverted Obama's foreign policy and took him from a kind of a guy who, I mean, conservatives will criticize Obama about this, that he kind of was, um, at least initially or in, in rhetoric, he was he was about like restraint, right? Well, right. when you have people like Victoria Nuland 
in your administration uh, that's not going to, it's kind of like Trump hiring John Bolton, you know? Sure, right. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it's hard to say restraint, right? Right, yeah. And so yeah. I think that, that was a huge part of it. You had this faction of war hawks in the Obama admin who just have it out for Ukraine that subverted his foreign policy and basically hijacked the Obama foreign policy and, and used it to pursue their personal uh, interests in Ukraine. Because, I mean, it's really a kind of ideological thing. Um, and it goes back a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, I can go on and on. I don't know if you want me to. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, it is interesting. We say it's uh, ideological. I think that is the answer. Yeah. And it's interesting. What, what do you say to... So on the NATO argument, I and mean, that's one that certainly has been put forth, what do you say about the other border countries? There are other NATO yeah. countries that border Russia. Yeah. Why does Putin not care about those in the same way that he cares about Ukraine? I'm not sure. That's, that's a good question. Uh, John Mearsheimer, who's probably the, the greatest realist geopolitical thinker, has noted this, that basically the word he used is Russia just swallowed uh, NATO's integration of these other countries like Poland, Czech Republic, the, the Romania, the Baltics. Right. Uh, but the line was just always drawn at Georgia and Ukraine. Um, so I, that's, I, that's a good question. I think part of it is, is probably due to the history that Georgia feels uh, it has with Ukraine. Part of this right. is part of this is fact. Part of it is fiction. But I think there is there is a deep connection that the Russians feel with Ukraine. In a, in a kind of mythical way, right. every every country has its myths of nationhood, right? And um, and I think the the Russians feel this way about Ukraine, whether or not it's totally, you know, founded in in fact, right. is irrelevant. It's a myth. It's something that people deeply believe and feel in, and that's why I mean, in Ukraine, again, this is something that Americans will never see because their media doesn't tell them this. But uh, Americans think that fighting just started in Ukraine. You know this this past month. Yeah, right. It's been going right. on for the last decade. Yes. A consequence of the Obama-backed coup in 2014 was that it triggered a civil war. Basically, you, you had pro-Russian separatists who saw right. what happened in Kiev and thought that was a coup, because it was. And, and we don't want to be totally separated from Russia. And so they basically declared that they were separatists. And they've been, for the last decade, uh, you people in Ukraine that are pro-Russian and, and pro-Ukrainian, the pro the, the incumbent regime have been fighting. And that conflict has been marked by war crimes on both sides. To, like By the time Putin had invaded in February, more than 14,000 people had been killed. And that coup also made Ukraine the poorest country in Europe. This is, again, this is the stuff that mm. we don't hear about because it's inconvenient. We don't like to know that as a direct result yeah. of right. the State Department's policies, you know, we triggered a civil war that rages to this day, and and and, and that that what? just that conflict is uh, this is all uh, a huge part of the Ukrainian Russian psyche that that we just uh, don't. I say we, I mean our elites, uh, our, our people in the media, our people in policy don't really stop to think about. We were not made to live in isolation. Sadly, many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. A lot of guys end up drinking, a lot of guys end up losing hope. Someone will go to the VA and they'll try to get, you know, prescription medications to help with PTSD. You know, they'll get pills for anxiety, they'll get pills because they can't sleep, now they'll get pills for depression before they know it. they're taking 12 different medications. 
And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope, and that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. As a result, we've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Everything they said just kept hitting me in the heart over and over and over again. It's like all the things that I didn't know that I needed to hear. And uh, I opened my heart to God that week, dude, and like, I've been a different person ever since. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. We provide our programs and resources, including travel, at no cost to our warriors. I remember talking to a licensed uh, social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went. I'm glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. Our mission is to serve and restore our nation's warriors and families who have endured hardship through their service to America and to help them find new life purpose through hope in Christ. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. What is, and this is a question I have not heard anyone answer, at least to my satisfaction. Not that anyone has to do anything oh to my satisfaction, but <laughs> what is what is a, what is Putin's goal? I think this is something that's been unclear. What is he actually trying to accomplish? And I'll tell you where I'm coming from on this. So in 2003, I was part of the U.S.'s invasion into Iraq. Um, our infantry battalion, my Marine infantry battalion, was the battalion that breached the berm. We made our way to Baghdad. I know what it looks like because I've experienced it when a superior nation invades an inferior nation. When someone with the resources invades someone that's not, we could talk about Iraq. But my point is what's, what we're at least being given or reported from Ukraine is not that. What, what is the goal? What is, where's the line where he goes, okay, I've done what I came to do and now, now we're going home? Well, he's actually said, I mean, it depends on how skeptical you are of his intentions and what he says, but he said repeatedly his goal is the complete demilitarization of Ukraine and basically an agreement that it's not going to join NATO. It's that, 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 that seems to be his stated goals. He, he said this repeatedly. The whole purpose of, of the, the repeated peace negotiation offerings has been that. And this, what I meant by skeptical is that there are people that think that it's bad faith, that basically the ask for you're not, you're not allowed to join NATO is just it's such, it's such a great ask that it's bad faith because Ukraine would never agree to it. Therefore, what Putin is really doing is just he's going to liquidate Ukraine. But what we do know is that this is not an exterminationist war, which is what the media is telling us. And what, unfortunately, even Zelensky, right. Ukraine's president, has told the world. He tweeted about this. He, he said that it was basically like the Holocaust all over again, which I thought was yeah. actually extremely inappropriate for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. But. Right. <laughs> uh, right. But so that's what we know. And we know that because. So far, and I, this is unfortunately, I think this is going to change as it as it gets dragged out. Uh, so far, Russia has been fairly restrained in its in its targeting. Even even American media has noted 
that Russia has been using surgical strikes so far, but civilian areas are getting targeted. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ukraine is is organizing its defenses in heavily populated areas. Uh, right. So, I mean, I don't, I, I've been actually pretty critical of that because, uh, I mean, conservatives are critical of this when like Hamas does it or the Palestinians do it. But anyways, that's a very touchy subject. But the point is, is that when you consider the fact that in the Donbass, you have this civil war where both sides are committing uh, like war crimes against each other. And then Russia launches this invasion and begs civilians not to fight with them. So far, about a million refugees have fled Ukraine. Today, it was announced that Ukraine and Russia had agreed to basically a kind of, uh, of an aid program where they allow civilians to, I think, leave and, and receive treatment and stuff like that. Basically, just both sides have agreed we need to protect civilian life as much as possible. That doesn't sound like an exterminationist war to me. It sounds like Russia sure. is trying to beat Ukraine into a truce where it agrees to its terms, which, like I said, in theory, it is uh, no, no demilitarization, which is, I think... That's not just about Ukraine. That's also about the United States, because uh, the United States has given Ukraine like the best possible equipment that we have. Uh, we, we basically are treating it like a select NATO partner like Australia, although it's not part of NATO. Right. Uh, and so I think that 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 request is also aimed at the United States. It's, it's a kind of like uh, stop trying to use Ukraine to mess with us. And then again, uh, right. you're not allowed to join NATO. I think basically you go back to before 2000. Uh, 14, where you were a, a buffer state um, that kind of played both sides instead of antagonizing us. And, so, it, yeah. And there's, at least right now, there's very little indication that Ukraine is willing to, to do that. So does that mean that as time goes on, there will be an escalation of violence? Eventually, Putin will get what he wants, but he'll do so much damage, there's not another choice. Is that the only way forward right now? Uh, that's, that's what I'm really concerned about because I think as time goes on and just, just the resentment builds between both sides, I think you're going to see more of that. It just, as that's just how conflicts yeah. work. And so that's why I really hope that something is resolved soon because the only other thing that happens is, uh, Putin gets toppled as a result of sanctions, but that hasn't worked in Iran. It hasn't worked in North Korea. I don't know why it would work yeah. in Russia. Yeah. And, and Russians might even be galvanized by it. They might actually end up supporting the war more because they feel isolated by the entire world. Uh, you know, people mm. like um, congressmen like Massey have, have actually pointed this out, saying like, look, we, we haven't seen this work in other countries. Why would it work in Russia? We're, and, and we're just inflicting, uh, we're just hurting civilians at this point. Uh, civilians right. who have nothing to do with the war, civilians who probably are even like anti-Putin, and, and now we're, we're sanctioning, we're bludgeoning them with sanctions. Uh, because we're also not uh, we're not um, we're not sanctioning Russian energy products, you know. We're just right. we're hitting Russians right. with, with other kinds of sanctions. So okay, that's one a, a coup or something like that. But I don't. I, again, I, I'm skeptical on that. And the other one is that uh, miraculously Putin just gives up, uh, which again that's difficult to see that happening. So I, I think what I'm yeah. hoping for is that Europe, because the United States or at least the Warhawk faction. In the United States, the neoconservatives, the interventionists, they seem intent on getting us into this conflict and like starting World War Three. Europe, I think, is is like France and Germany might be the ones to be able to like give Putin a way out and allow both sides to save face. Um, but in either case, I hope it ends soon. What would that look like if Germany and France gave him a way out? 
what what is that option? What does that look like? I think it would be a mediated a mediated discussion between uh, basically the EU countries like Germany and France help Ukraine and Russia come to an agreement that satisfies both sides. Um, but it yeah. seems like whenever they try to do that, the United States is is the uh, again I'm. I don't, American people want nothing to do with this. When I when I talk about the United States and talking about our political establishment that has actually caused a lot sure, of these problems, right, of course. Um, and I, it seems like we're the ones, the government in the U.S. is the one that undermines the peace process, uh, because we have these these idealists, these war hawks who are just committed to to doing you know to causing trouble for Russia uh, at the at the expense of of civilians everywhere because. You know, they, yeah. the, these people will cheer about democracy, like people like Victoria Nuland, Obama, Hillary Clinton. You know, we brought democracy to Ukraine, and that's what we're fighting for now. You made Ukraine the poorest country in Europe. You triggered a civil war that hasn't right, stopped sure. to this day. That, you know, it's just, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I know that we've been so drummed up by the media that it sounds naive to say that I hope that Europe can mediate peace. But... I don't see another way where uh, where this doesn't get even even bloodier and, and more civilians get hurt. Uh, and hopefully Putin didn't expect the pushback that he's gotten and he would be willing yeah. to negotiate. But I guess that remains to be seen. What what do you say? I, there have been, been a lot of what I will classify as conspiracy theories uh, around Ukraine and what's real and what's not and so forth. Yeah. But to me, the, the most reasonable one is that the reason the Biden administration is uh, not only allowing this to happen, but in, in a lot of ways has orchestrated it, is to cover up for either some of their dealings in Ukraine or in the region yeah. or to divert attention away from, you know, failed domestic policies. Do you think there's anything to that or is that, you know, wishful thinking from the conservative uh, conservative establishment? Well, war is useful. Uh, so I think for people like for a variety of different groups and camps, war can be useful for, for those purposes. So I actually don't think, I think it's important to remember that a conspiracy is actually, uh, it, it's, we're talking about minorities conspiring to achieve their goals. Like that is, that is the definition of a conspiracy. So, mm. so it's totally, mm. it's totally uh, possible that, you know, you have groups that are conspiring right. to use this war to cover up some kind of crime. I think that's totally possible. Um, but, but I think it's some. It, notably, there does seem to be two factions within the Biden administration. The Hawks, on the one hand, because like I said, you have people like Victoria Nuland in the yeah. White House, and then Biden, yeah. who I think, if he's not a dove, then obviously, you know, like you said, he might have an interest in letting this thing go, go on or something like right. that. Um, I, I certainly don't think the the administration is united, and that's why you have these mixed signals uh, coming out of it. So, but I, but I, no, I think I think actually it's healthy to be extremely skeptical. Of what we're being told, I think it's healthy to be extremely uh, paranoid about this because there are so many different players. There are so many dif different actors. Um, there's an oligarch yeah. uh, whose name eludes me right now. He's a Ukrainian oligarch, but he was caught up in this embezzlement scheme through Privat Bank, and uh, he embezzled billions of dollars, uh, and basically received the nod from Victoria Nuland and Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton. I mean, you can you can. You can find all this stuff. There's a, there's a great article in, in Harper's Magazine about this. Like, I'm not just making this up. Uh, and basically, you have this Ukrainian oligarch that embeds a bunch of money with the help, or not with the help, but kind of with the uh, the convenient indifference of the United States establishment. 
-hmm. And that oligarch mm -hmm. is actually a significant backer of President Zelensky. And again, all this stuff is just, it, it, what's incredible is that all this stuff is so well documented, but we're not talking about it. To, to even raise the question of like, well, hold on, is this really a war for democracy or is there more going on here? Right. That is becoming treason, according yeah. to people like Mitt Romney. Man, so, man, hearing you say that is, is refreshing in a way. I was talking to someone in the media uh, last week and we were, we were just talking. We weren't, it wasn't an interview. We were just talking and just kind of throwing around ideas. And it's crazy that we can't have conversations like this one right now because you're either for the Ukrainian people or against them. You're either for war or against it or whatever. And I, I think it's important for people to understand that what's, what's happening in Ukraine is horrible. And yes. the fact that, you know, for whatever caused it, Putin made a decision to invade a sovereign nation. And again, we could talk about all the causality, but, but that's wrong. And there are a lot of Ukraine citizens, citizens of Ukraine who are, you know, struggling, suffering, they're hungry, they're living in bunkers, they're dying. And many, because they love the country, have stood up and said, we're going to fight. Yeah. To support yeah. that does not mean that we should then close our eyes to what's causing this and why is it happening. And we should be able as Americans to have both conversations at the same time. It's okay to say we love the people that are there, we care for them, and whoever's controlling this <laughs> needs to be rooted out and dealt with because yeah. there are a lot of real people who are suffering. And yeah. it, it, it drives me crazy. We can't have conversations like this in the mainstream, and, and we yeah. should be able to. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's so important that we, that we say this because if, uh, on the one hand, the, there are a variety of different possible outcomes that are terrible if we go along with, with the mainstream consensus. And the most obvious that's and right. bad one is World War III, which would involve nukes mm. uh, because you know that's on the table. And that's bad because more civilians die. Uh, that's just, just the bottom line. Right. Uh, however many, right. you know, whatever bad things are happening right now and they are bad, a lot more bad things will happen if you escalate this into a, into a real global conflict. And on the other hand, right. um, so let's say that you have World War III it happens, whatever. It's it's it. We we managed to avoid nuclear winter, or whatever. Uh, the the cause, the real causes of this, which I think you could broadly just say, an in, a, a a group of of irresponsible, uh, unaccountable, corrupt elites in the United States and in Europe who have sometimes overlapping, sometimes competing interests. Like they're the ones that actually brought yeah. us to this point. They're the cause. Right. They, nothing will happen to them. They'll never be held accountable. Uh, th this war, this conflict is really a symptom of all these different yeah. competing interests. Uh, and and that, that cause, that cancer won't go away um, if, we don't, if we don't even you know, acknowledge that there's a malignancy, that, there, that there's this kind of tumor yeah. that started all of this. Uh, and, and we're just treating the symptoms. And the symptom is you know, this, this horrible conflict in Ukraine right now. But again, it's a symptom of a much, much more serious problem. Someone who I cannot recommend enough is, is John Mearsheimer. He talks about this a lot about how we're just uh, we're kind of being sleepwalked into a global catastrophe yeah. by idealists and cynics. Man, that's so good. Um, to, to that point, where can people find good information about what's happening? I think that's been one of the big struggles. Uh, if you get your information from Instagram yeah. <laughs> or, or uh, YouTube, you're probably going to go to the wrong place. Uh, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Where can people find good information? That's a really good question. I, 
honestly, a lot of this stuff that I've been looking at to inform my opinion of this has been <laughs> coming from Twitter. Uh, but I, 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 yeah. I will do my own like, so by Twitter, I mean, I follow accounts that are, they're sending out live stream footage right. or images from the ground. I never share anything without taking it and then first trying to verify for myself, you know, is right. this, you know, is this video actually current? Uh, is this location where, where the author claims it is? But that has actually been the yeah. way because, because for the, for, for the simple reason that it comes directly from the ground, that, that has actually been a way that I've uh, been able to, to inform myself. It's much harder. It takes more time. Uh, it's not as easy as just opening like a Vox explainer uh, or the New York times or something right. like that, but sure, often right, right. they're not actually telling right. you the whole thing. Uh, and um, so honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend Twitter to people uh, for a source of news. It just, I'm just very used to it. But I mean, the, the American conservative, they've been doing some really good work um, on, on foreign policy. Obviously, I recommend my own magazine, Chronicles, because we're, we're uh, our right. authors are, are we, have, we have a handful of Russophobes who are also anti-war. So basically, they're, they're opposed to Russia, but they're also opposed to our entry into Russia. I'm, I'm mm. more of like, uh, I'm more of a, I'm even more of a realist than that. But um, yeah, the American conservative is good. Chronicles is good. Um, it, it, it's funny. I'm struggling to answer the question because it, it's a really difficult question to answer right now because there seems to be yeah, a total. Right. I have I have never in my life seen such a powerful consensus. Not BLM. Not even COVID. Because with COVID and BLM, conservatives were always kind of dissenting. Uh, even if even if with COVID it took longer right. for more of them to do it. But with this, it was like overnight, everyone was on the same page wearing Ukrainian lapel pins saying yeah. you're with us or against us. I, right. I have never seen that before. Um, so it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually really scary because the question that you asked is hard to answer. Yeah, it's very hard to find the right information. I think uh, those sources that you cited are very helpful. And then following a Twitter account like yours where you, know, you will push out some vetted information is, is very good. Where, or what, what can we expect to see in the next few weeks. I know you don't, you know, you can't see yeah. it in the future, but what are, what are you waiting to see in the next few weeks? I would, I mean, my hope is that Ukraine will just, again, this, as an American, it, it like almost hurts me to say this, uh, but I hope that Ukraine just agrees to, to peace terms and to a ceasefire um, because that's the only way to avoid more. Cause I, again, I don't see Putin relenting and the longer this goes on, more civilians die. The fact that Ukraine agreed to a kind of a mutual aid program today is I think it actually might be a good sign. The fact that Putin has been talking to Macron and they claim that they had a substantive discussion that is a, like a, a glimmer of hope. So I, I hope that this yeah. basically they agree like, OK, we're, we're going to have a ceasefire. Ukraine will will agree to basically Russia's demands for it to return to being a kind of buffer state. Um, but I, I unfortunately, I think it's probably just as likely, if not more likely, that this, this thing is going to escalate. And uh, things are going to get ugly, not not just in Ukraine, but everywhere else, because I think these the sanctions that we're using also have ripple effects that are we're going to feel them here, I think. Yeah, uh, maybe not as badly yeah. as the Russians are in Russia, but I think we're going to feel them, too. And um, the thing that I'm actually uh, concerned with in particular is is like the, um, the the narrative of you're with us or against us. 
I'm doing everything I can with my with my my little platform to push back against it, but I, I still see it kind of solidifying really hard this idea that you have to be all in or you're an enemy of the United States. Yeah. To the extent that it's actually yeah. I think might result in people like Russian Americans getting hurt. Like there was a few a few days ago there was a business in Washington DC, I think it's called Russia House, and some people smashed it up and spray painted uh, graffiti inside of it that the the news just said anti-Russian graffiti. I have a friend who's a, yeah. a German Russian living in Germany with family in Ger- uh, Russia and family friends in Ukraine, and she says that if people think you're Russian right now in Europe, you're getting death threats. And like, it, like crazy. she's she's been getting it too, and she's she's basically terrified of people finding out that she's she's Russian, although she's lived in Germany pretty much all of her life. And I, I I'm worried that you're also going to see more of that uh, in the next few weeks. I saw, to that point, I saw a, uh, I think it's from the Daily Wire, an article today that pointed to Disney pulling down, I, I haven't seen, it's a cartoon, it's a movie, Anastasio, I yeah. think it's called, or something like that. It's a, a movie about a Russian family. They pulled it off yeah. all of their platforms because it's about a Russian family. I can't <laughs> and believe, that's I mean, I can't believe that, but I, that's insane. That's, I mean, that's, because it's not like a, yeah. That's not a small thing. That, that That's actually a really popular movie, or at least it was, I think, when I was growing, because I remember when it came out. I mean, yeah, I mean, but you're seeing yeah. this, like a, a huge hockey. And by the way, this, uh, it almost makes me uh, maybe more angry than it should, but there's a, um, a good example of this is a huge hockey company. I think it's called CCM Hockey, based in Canada. And mm. yep. they've announced yep. that they're basically going to stop using Russian players in, I think, their marketing and advertising and uh, basically wow. distancing themselves from the Russian players. And, and, like, why? Why are you now persecuting civilians who have nothing to do with this conflict? Right. And what's especially hypocritical about That's it right. is, is that Disney and CCM Hockey and all these other virtue-signaling corporations would never do this to China. Most of CCM, pretty much all That's of right. CCM Hockey's, yeah, right. hockey sticks are made in China with slave labor. But they're, they're not, yeah. they would never say anything about Remember, You weren't even allowed to say it's the Chinese coronavirus or the Wu flu right. when COVID <laughs> right. happened. But now right. it's perfectly right. okay to discriminate against Russians. Uh, where I live in Ohio, Mike DeWine yeah. has, has announced some kind of policy about not buying like Russian liquor products or something like that. Like we've actually made it policy to discriminate against an entire uh, group of people and an, an entire race of people. And no one thinks there's a problem with this. You know, like historically, we've never yeah. seen where this might go. Yeah, right. Yeah, virtual virtue signaling is alive and well, and this is just the most recent, I think, and and yeah. people getting on board with it. Man, so much uh, else I'd like to talk to you about, Pedro. But thank you for this. What or, or where can people follow you? Uh, again, information is the key right now. We've got to be getting good information. Where can people yeah. follow you? Pro- honestly, probably my Twitter is the the best place right now. Apart from my writing at Chronicles Magazine. Uh, my Twitter is E M E R I T I C U S and Mariticus. But and I, I'm not just saying that to shill for myself, but I've really made it a point, regardless of how. And I've been getting a lot of hate for this to basically push back on the consensus narrative about this entire conflict, and that means, in practice, spending more time on Twitter than I should and trying to try to get as much information sure. as I can and, and verify it, and then also push back on on the stuff that's coming out of the mainstream and unfortunately twitter is actually i mean i say unfortunately because i i don't like i actually think it's bad to use twitter too much because it's like it just rots your brain but i will say that the difference (laughs) between the difference between now 
and Iraq, and the lead up to Iraq is that Twitter actually, platforms like Twitter allow us to undermine the mainstream narrative, uh, which is mm. critically important for avoiding the United yeah. States escalating and getting involved in this. Uh, and, and so I think that's, that's that is one of the, the few good things about social media and about platforms like Twitter is that it allows you to basically uh, go to war with, with the establishment narrative. That's good. Pedro Gonzalez, thank you so much, man. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for your good work and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you. We will be waiting and watching, of course, over the next days and weeks and praying for the right outcome, praying for those who are uh, currently there trying to figure this thing out, for the many, many men and women and children who are doing their very best to push through, praying for God's grace and His direction and for peace. And we'll continue to do that. Thankful for the perspectives that were presented today and the opportunity to think clearly about some of these very, very critical issues. I do appreciate you joining me and watching. Thank you for being here. Look forward to talking to you next time. Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com and use the promo code SITREP. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.